so good to see you all today. Welcome. For those of you who don't know, I'm Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and it's been three months that I've been here, and it's been an awesome three months. Really good. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, yeah, and, and we've been, uh, Jimmy mentioned it about our Forward Faster campaign. Uh, it's been really exciting to see how people have been stepping up for our church that we, you know, we were having some tough financial times, but people have really stepped up. We've made some, some cuts to some stuff, but we've also been able to move forward really quick. And people have been giving uh, so that we could get out of debt, so that we could do some stuff. And we're already a third of the way to the $50,000 that we've been trying to raise. So thank you so much for giving. I think that's really cool. Um, and people have been stepping up. We've got a great band that's been stepping up and leading um, just a lot of different ways that people are coming and giving their times, their talents, and treasures. So we encourage you to continue to do that. And there is this envelope in there if you want to make a gift towards that campaign or if you want to donate your time or your talents. Those are very important to us. So t- you can take that and you can either turn in the envelope at the end or there's these boxes as you go out. You can stick it in one of those boxes because we want to come together as a church. And it's been exciting to see all the people step up for that. Well, um, today we are in our Get Wise series through Proverbs, and we're going to be talking today about conflict. Conflict. I think a pretty important topic. There's an old Finnish proverb that says, closeness without conflict only exists in the cemetery. (laughs) I, I think when people get together in relationships, in a family, in a house, in a workplace, there is conflict. There are issues that we deal with, and we have to learn how to handle conflict. It's an important skill that we must have if we want to be wise, if we want to be mature people. There was an American couple that went to a zoo in Russia, and they go to this one exhibit, and there's this big cage, and there's a lion in there with a bunch of lambs, a whole bunch of sheep in there. And they look, and the sign at the front of this exhibit says, Coexistence. That's the name of this exhibit. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. So they talk to the Russian zookeeper and they say, this is so unique. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And the Russian zookeeper says, yes, duh. Uh, there's, there's nothing like it. It is unique. And they say, wow, well, how do you do this? This must be really difficult. How do you get the lion and the lambs to coexist together? And the Russian zookeeper says, it's not difficult. It's very simple. Every once in a while, you just need to replace a lamb. You know, when, when people come together, when, when there's this closeness, there is going to be conflict in our relationships, in our lives, in our businesses, and we need to learn how to handle it. And that's what we're going to learn today. And, and this sermon is going to be a little different than I usually do, because instead of giving you points, I'm going to be giving you some questions. Some questions to ask yourself so that you can learn how to handle conflict in your own life. I talked with a couple people this week that I was going to be teaching on conflict, and both of them said, oh, this is so timely, this is right what I need to hear this week. So I asked both of them, well, what conflict are you dealing with? And each of them was dealing with completely different conflicts, you know, whether it was with parents or with a sibling or co-worker. I think everybody in here has a conflict in their life with a person, with a, because of a situation, and it can be all sorts of different scenarios. So as you listen to this message, I want you to think, how can I apply this to my situation? to learn how to deal with it right now and how to handle conflict, but also you can take that for other conflicts you have in the future because you may have one or two, right? You may have a few conflicts. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so were here. No, no, no. This message is for you, okay? This message is for you. So we're going to learn seven questions to ask yourself about conflict because as much as we want to, we cannot change the other person or the other people in the conflict. We want to. We want to. Just grab their neck. Stop it. 
Don't do that. We can't change them, but we can change ourselves. So that's why these seven questions that arise from our Proverbs that we're going to be looking at today can help us change ourselves and learn how to be wise with conflict. So if you look in this middle part of the bulletin, there's going to be all the Proverbs we're going through today. We're going to start in Proverbs 19 if you have your Bible, but we're going to be flipping back and forth a lot in these different Proverbs. So I thought I'd put them all there for you so you can take notes, underline, circle the word star, the one that you're like, oh, this is the proverb I need to learn and memorize this week for my conflict. And these are the seven questions you should ask yourself in conflict. The first one is simple. Does this need to become a conflict? Someone insults you. Someone does that thing that really gets on your nerve. You should ask yourself first, does this need to become a conflict? Now, there are certain situations and things that we do need to have conflict. There's healthy conflict. But the first question we should always ask is, does this need to become a conflict? Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's to one's glory. It's to one's honor to be respected by other people, be respected by God. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. To say, I'm not going to let this go any further. I'm going to let it stop with me. I'm going to let it slide off my back. When I was first married and... and if, if you're married or you're thinking about marriage, you know that there can be some conflict every once in a while in marriage, right? Unless you're both dead, like the Proverbs said, right? Finished Proverbs. But you had that. And I remember when I was first married, I was meeting with a mentor and d- talking about conflict. And he said, you know, Matt, there's going to be some things that you'll never be able to change your spouse. Never be able to change about them. I said, okay. He said, you know, when we first got married, he'd been married about 40 years said, my wife would take her blow dryer, blow dry her hair, and then leave the cord over the sink every morning. He said, it would make me so mad, and I'd get so frustrated and angry and tell her, and we'd get into these big fights about it, and it still happened every day. So he said, finally, I just decided, who cares? I can move the cord just as easily as she can. So he just said, that's part of my job. Every day I'm going to move the cord for the blow dryer. Because some things aren't a big deal. Okay? We can let certain things just slide off our backs. We don't need to make a conflict out of something small. And, and the reality is, is that you think, you think, okay, if I, I, if I just make the conflict right now, I can resolve it and things will be better in the future. Sometimes starting that conflict makes things worse and worse and worse. That's what Proverbs 17.14 says. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You just see that big dam holding back the big reservoir and all of a sudden this little bit of water starts poking through and then more and then there's more holes and more holes. All this water starts coming in and then the whole dam breaches and the water comes down and floods out the whole valley and everything is ruined and destroyed. That's what can happen when we let that conflict go on. It could be something small, but we take that and we make it worse and worse when we could have just overlooked the offense. So I'll forgive you. I'm just going to move on. This isn't something that I'm going to let upset me. One of my favorite books as a kid was The Butter Battle Book by Dr. Seuss. You read this? The Butter Battle Book. This is one of my favorite. And in this book, it starts out with a conflict. There's a conflict over which side of the bread to put your butter on. Do you put it on top? But some people, rebels, decide to put the butter on the other side of the bread, the underside of the bread. And it starts this conflict. These two warring clans start elevating the conflict, escalating it, and they start out with small weapons like slingshots, and then they get bigger and bigger as Dr. Seuss does it, right? 
And the conflict just gets out of hand until they're ready to nuke the entire other clan because of the butter side of the bread. Which side do you put the butter on? But conflicts can start out with something so small and they grow to something so big. So small to something so big. You know, it it starts... I've, I've seen this working with families. That it starts by an insult... Then it begins that siblings don't even talk to each other anymore. They just, we're not going to deal with it. And, and then I had this family that I worked with and, and the parents died and left an inheritance. But then they couldn't decide who gets the inheritance and they're not talking to each other. And they fight over just this little bit of property. And then it's like all war breaking out. Lawsuits, lawyers are involved, ruining their family. And probably that insult that happened 20 years ago, if that had just been overlooked, could have stopped that whole dam from being breached. We, we often think, well, I, I, I can't let this go. I can't let it go. But in their book, Resolving Everyday Conflict, Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson say, when people say it isn't right to let people off easy, they say, whenever I hear a Christian speak those words, I ask, where would you spend eternity if God dealt us justice without mercy? There are sometimes we need to overlook that offense because God overlooks our sins. He forgives us. And we too must say, I'm not going to let this go any farther. I'm going to absorb it. I'm just going to say, no. And when I say this, there's a difference between peacemaking in that regard and peace faking. This doesn't mean I'm going to keep a record of everything you've ever done and then when I get mad, I'm going to let it all loose and tell you all the things you've done wrong. That's not overlooking an offense. Overlooking offense is the way of love and love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And what I want to say with this first question, does this need to become a conflict, is don't get yourself involved in someone else's conflict. Proverbs 26, 17 says, Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel not their own. Now, we don't have stray dogs here in the United States, but in a lot of other countries in the world, they do. And when I was down in Bolivia, I was running one morning, and there was a whole pack of stray dogs. These things are mangy, they, they scavenge to eat. I mean, this is normal in a lot of countries in our world. And there's no way you could get me to go up and grab one of those dogs behind the ears. Because <laughs> that would have bit me, given me rabies, and I would have been in the hospital with some skin torn off if I even survived. But that's what you do when you get involved in someone else's conflict. And some of us, I hope nobody in here, some of us like drama. And we say, when you hear about a conflict, you're like, oh, who said that? What did they do? <gasps> and then you insert yourself into this conflict that you had nothing to do with and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. That's like grabbing a stray dog by the ears, Proverbs tells us. Don't do that. Ask yourself, does this need to become a conflict? Do I need to be involved or can I just say, no, no, no. I'm not going to insert myself in somebody else's issue. And the reality is is that if we want to stop this conflict, unhealthy conflict, dead dead in its tracks, we're going to have to learn patience. And that's our second point. We should ask ourselves always, am I in control of my anger? Am I in control of my anger? Am I controlling my emotions or am I let them, letting them control me? Proverbs twelve sixteen says, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. You are foolish. You are a fool if you just let your emotions immediately overcome you when you're annoyed or irritated. And this is difficult. This is something I've learned waking up in the middle of the night with a baby. When you just say, hey, could you help? And you're annoyed. It sounds much worse. You're trying to just ask for help. And you're like, could you help? 
That's what it comes out when you're annoyed in the morning. Okay, I admit it. Middle of the night. Okay, and you have to learn, okay, I've got to control my emotions in this situation so that the anger doesn't control me. And if you're saying, well, Matt, I, I can't control it. This person just gets on my nerves. I can't help it. That's a lie. You can control your emotions. It's a fool who says, no, I've got to show my annoyance at once. And this requires a lot of self-control because you're going to have to learn how to control your facial expressions. You're going to have to learn how to control your tone. And maybe just keep your mouth shut as we learned last week about words. Just right now I need to control myself and get a handle on this situation. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Your patience, just waiting and saying, I'm not going to let my temper control me. I'm going to just be patient here. That can calm a quarrel. You know, when I did get, first get married, I, I would let things annoy me and frustrate me, things that were happening, and then I would take it out on my wife. I remember very vividly uh, some fights we had over me breaking the yolk when I was frying some eggs. Seriously, okay? I, I'd be frying eggs. I thought I was doing a nice thing cooking her dinner, and the yolk would break, and it would, I, I'd just go crazy. I would be so angry and I, ah, it's ruined and throw the pan and just this huge fight that didn't need to happen, right? And and I needed to learn how to control my temper. I needed to control myself. And and this is a skill I learned at the time and I hope that you can learn it too. This is something that's kind of passed down from the Jesuits. It's called a breath prayer. This is what I learned to do during that time in my life. I'd be in traffic and I'd get angry, right? Right? And then I'd be late, I'd get frustrated with that. And then I'd be late in the middle of traffic, and that was the worst, right? And conflict would ensue because I would just be unable to control my emotions. So I learned how to say breath prayers. And and what I do, when when there's something that sets you off, you have to separate that thing that sets you off from your emotional response. So just saying a a breath prayer was able to do that. And the, the prayer that I said, it could be any prayer you want, but it would just be, Lord, Son of David... Have mercy on me, a sinner. So I said the first half of the prayer as I breathed in, and then I I released. So, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on... And then, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, O Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as I practiced that prayer, as I breathed in that way, just trying to control my body a little bit, I separated the time from the, the stimulus, whatever was making me mad, to my emotional response. And eventually, if you separate it out long and long enough, you won't even have the response, because you'll have controlled yourself. But just allowing that time in there allows you to think, like, why is this setting me off? Why is this thing making me angry? Why is that word that person said? So what I figured out, and this took some time talking with Melissa and others, was that my dad, about the eggs, my dad had been a short order cook. So when he cooked for our families, his eggs were always perfect. Always perfect. And I thought deep in my subconscious that in order to be a good husband, I had to make good eggs. But Melissa didn't even care. She wanted her eggs over hard. She didn't care if the yolks were broken. But this emotional response I had was because I didn't feel like I was a good enough husband. That was stupid. That was stupid. And, and allowing those breath prayers to separate the stimulus from the response allowed me to be able to control that. And it's still something I need to work on, and it's still something I practice, these breath prayers, but I challenge you to do that. Somebody after the first service said, I, I just thought of a prayer, and they, they told me their prayer for breath prayer, so I challenge you guys to do the same. Just... Breathe in and say half a prayer. Breathe out and say the other half. When you begin to control your emotions, control your emotions. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. 
Fools give full vent to their rage. So you've got to learn how to control your emotions. Because there are times where you will have conflict. It's necessary. It's healthy. You have to confront the situation, confront the person. But when you do that, do not give full vent to your rage. You need to always be in control. If you've lost control of yourself, you've lost the conflict. You've lost already. So that means you can't say insults. Do not have name-calling. Okay, that, It's not good in a marriage. Don't ever say... Don't you always do that or you never do that. This is giving full vent to your rage because that person doesn't always do that or never do that. It's just a few instances that you're thinking of. So this is the way you're giving full vent to your rage and, and that's foolish, it says. Fools give full vent to their rage but wise bring calm in the end. So you've got to learn to control yourself. And here's the thing. Think some people want to get in a conflict with you and they want to drag you down. They want you to lose control of yourself. George Bernard Shaw said, I learned long ago never to wrestle with a pig. You get dirty, and besides, the pig likes it. You've got to learn to control yourself so you don't get down there in the muck. And the reality is, is we are going to become angry. There are going to be things that people say and do in our lives that make us upset. And we can be justified in our anger. In fact, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, When you are angry... Do not sin. So the point is, yes, we will be angry. Yes, we will have these emotional outbursts, but we need to learn how to control them so that we don't sin in our anger. I read an interesting book a few years ago called Beyond Reasoning. I'm sorry, Beyond Reason. And it was subtitled, Using Emotions as You Negotiate. One of the authors of this book was a world-renowned peace negotiator. And he had negotiated treaties in in the Middle East and in Serbia and done some amazing work. And he said emotions actually are very important when you're negotiating with people, when you have a conflict. But you need to uh, enunciate them calmly. So he said, you can and should tell the other person, this makes me really upset. This really hurts me. And explain why. But as you do that, you say it with a calm tone. You're in control of yourself. So you're saying... What you did to me really hurt me. I am very angry about this. Instead of saying, oh, I'm so mad at you. Ah, and lose and control yourself. Because then you've lost. But if you're calmly telling the person your emotions that you're feeling, it's actually going to go far in negotiating and resolving the conflict. So we've got to learn how to control our anger. So ask yourself, am I in control of myself? Am I in control of my emotions? That's the second question. The third one is, should I involve others should i involve others should i bring somebody else into this conflict or should i just keep it between me and this other person proverbs 17 9 says whoever would foster love covers over an offense but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends by repeating what happened to someone else you can make friendship dissolve you can ruin relationships you can create a worse conflict just by saying what happened You need to ask yourself, should I involve others? You know, Jesus, when he taught how to deal with conflict in the church, in Matthew 18, he said, go privately to the person. Talk to them one-on-one. He was talking about sin, but you go one-on-one and talk with them and before you involve anybody else. If you involve another person too soon, you're doing what's called triangulating. You're bringing this third person into the fight, the argument. So sometimes you might go to that other person, you might go to that other person and they'll be like, oh no, he didn't. And they'll get you riled up. I would never stand for that. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to stand for that. And you go back and boom, the fight is just blowing up. 
because the other person has instigated the conflict to be even worse. You're triangulating. Proverbs 26.20 says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Getting other people involved unnecessarily is creating more and more conflict. Gossiping about it. Because that person then may want to insert themselves in the middle of your drama. And they'll make it worse. If they're, Why'd you tell so-and-so about this? I thought this was just between us. The conflict has now been inflamed because you've involved somebody else. Now, there may be times where you should involve another person. If it's someone that's confidential, someone you can trust, someone that will pray for you and, and not say, oh, you're totally right and that other person's so wrong. Right? If you're going to involve another person, especially like in a marriage or, or in a relationship with someone, um, make sure it's someone that you both agree upon beforehand. So if you're going to go see a counselor or tell somebody or come to me, make sure that you both agree upon it ahead of time. Don't go talk to your parent when you're married. Don't go talk to the parent because then the parent will take your side. Or maybe they'll take your spouse's side. But they're going to take a side, right? And that's not helpful. You need someone who's going to be neutral and, and looking at it you know, carefully. So it's got to be someone that you both agree upon. The reality is most of the time we shouldn't involve anybody else. We should just handle the conflict one-on-one. Say, hey, let's sit down and figure this out between you and I. Let's not involve anybody else. So third question is, should I involve others? And as you're doing this, you're going to say, okay, I do want to resolve this conflict. I do want to find some peace here with this person. One-on-one, we're working. And then the next question you should ask yourself is, what don't I know? What don't I know? You should ask yourself this question because you're probably only thinking about it from your perspective. Proverbs 18.13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. It's foolish. It's shameful. To think you have it all figured out and you know the whole situation. Because what's going to happen is you try to listen. You ask the person, what's going on? Why did you have such an emotional response to that thing I did? You're going to find out things that you didn't think about. You're going to assume the worst motives about a person, then talk to them and say, oh, they were actually looking out for me when they did that. I should have just asked. And I wouldn't have been so mad. This conflict wouldn't have been erupted. What don't I know? James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. If we just got better at listening, we would have a lot less conflicts get out of control. Just listen. Ask the person some questions. What's going on? Melissa is so good at this with me. Why did you erupt, Matt? It's just some yokes that you broke, right? Okay, it's okay if we're a few minutes late. Everybody understands Denver traffic, right? You don't need to get so angry, Matt. Uh, and listens to me. Why, why are you so upset about this? We need to get better at listening. We do. We need to be quick to listen. Men, we need to get better at listening. Okay? Yeah, I'm talking to you guys. We need to get better at this. This is a skill we need to learn. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And the reality is when you do listen, you realize, oh, there's another side of the story. I didn't have it all figured out. Proverbs 18.17 says, In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. I remember reading this theological book um, and the first half of the book was written by one author and the second half was another. So the first half was arguing one point and the second half another. And I read the first half and I was like, that guy's so right. He's got it all figured out. That guy's definitely right. And then I read the second half. I said, that guy's so right. He's got it all figured out. Because, you know, these different opinions and you hear both sides and you're like, oh, okay, there's more to the story than I thought. And we need to do the same thing 
in conflict and realize, okay, the other person has a point. The other person has an emotional thing. They might have something in their background or, or someone did something else. So what I said wasn't that bad, but it came in a long line of things that led to this person erupting into this conflict that has now ensued. So what don't I know? You should always ask yourself. What don't I know? And the fifth question, this is going to help a ton with conflict. I wish people were better at this. The fifth question is, what if I let go of my pride? What if just for a minute, I said, I'm going to let go of my pride and and say, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm not perfect. Or maybe I'm partially right, but not fully right. Just let go of your pride just a little bit. I guarantee you, if you humble yourself, you will be able to resolve conflict a lot quicker. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Where there is strife, there is pride. Every conflict has pride involved. Somebody or both people can admit they're not right. They can't admit that to saying, Hey, maybe I am right, but I'm just going to humble myself and allow the other person to win this argument this time. We need to have humility. We need to ask ourselves, what if I just let go of my pride for a minute? In their book, Boundaries in Marriage, uh, Cloud and, and Townsend talk about one couple that came to them, and the husband was so mad about his wife's spending habits, she was just spending out of control. So what did he do? He went out and bought a boat. Yeah. He overspent a ton and bought this boat so that he could show her how hard it was to be poor. I mean, how much pride is in there? Sure, okay, he has now contributed way more than she ever did to the problem. In pride, he wanted to show up the other person. It just made the conflict worse and worse and worse. The reality is, I have counseled a lot of couples, some very close to divorce, some like, probably have already been, you know, already divorced, and I'm just trying to put it back together. They come to me too late. But I have yet to find a couple... I'm still looking. Maybe there'll be one. I've yet to find a couple where one person wasn't involved in the conflict, that wasn't part of it, that hadn't been the root of the conflict. Every single couple I meet with, they both are to blame. They both are. Yeah, one person may be way wronger than the other one, but every time, both have contributed to the problem. Both have contributed. And if they just humbled themselves and said, yeah, I have instigated this. I have done this. I'm so sorry. If they had just humbled themselves, it wouldn't have gotten to the point where they're on the brink of divorce. So what if I let go of my pride? The reality is that as Christians, I know there's some non-Christians in here, but as Christians, our job is to make peace. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Those are the children of God, those who make peace. And in Hebrews 12, 14, we are commanded, pursue peace with everyone. So we're going to have to humble ourselves. Because a lot of times the other person won't admit that they're wrong. But we can say, okay, I'm going to humble myself in this situation and, and, and submit. Or I'm going to humble myself and admit my part that I actually did play in this conflict. We need to be the peacemakers. We need to be the peacemakers. And this leads us into our sixth question we should ask ourselves. What if I just loved? What if I just loved this person? I know that they've done wrong. I've admitted that I've been wrong. I've humbled myself now. And yet still there's a conflict ensuing. What if I just decided to love them? To show them kindness? To forgive them? What if I just loved this person? What if I just loved 
Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. What if I just showed kindness to this person and said a compliment instead of an insult? Sometimes you really have to rack your mind. Is there anything good about this person? Ask God, God, show me one good thing about this person. And then you think, oh, you're a nice dresser. Okay, say that to the person. Say the compliment. Say the kindness. Show love to the person. Forgive them. Just love. Just love. Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson in their book I mentioned earlier say that deliberate, focused love is the ultimate weapon. You want to resolve a conflict? You want to win the fight? Love them. It's the ultimate weapon. It's going to lead to a lot more peace in your life if you just said, I'm going to love this person even if they don't love me or they're not kind to me right now. I'm going to show them kindness anyways. I'm going to have the love for them that God has for me. Um, South African Bishop Desmond Tutu, who has won a Nobel Peace Prize, tells a story about when he decided to become an Anglican priest. You see, he grew up in apartheid South Africa. And in that culture when a black person was walking on the sidewalk, they would have to get off the sidewalk when a white person came on the sidewalk. And they would have to lower their head and their eyes. This is what they knew. So Desmond, when he was just a young boy, I think eight years old, was walking with his mother, and a white man started walking towards them. And before they could get off the sidewalk, this white man got off the sidewalk for them and tipped his hat as a sign of respect. Well, Desmond had never seen this before. He had never seen that. So as they passed this man, he asked his mom, he said, why did that man do that? Why did that man do that? She said, well, he's an Anglican priest. And he knows that because of the love and the goodness God has shown him, he too must show love and goodness to others. He said that moment he decided to become an Anglican priest too. Because of the love that covered over that conflict, that love that just was able to be the ultimate weapon to bring peace. But in that conflict that took a long time and in conflicts in our lives, there will be situations, there will be times where we do all these steps, right? We've asked ourselves these questions. We've humbled ourselves. We've listened to the other person. We've really tried to love them and show kindness and forgive them. And yet the conflict still persists. This person will never admit they're wrong. They'll never accept an apology. This person is just wanting conflict to go worse and worse and worse. When that happens, that's what our seventh question is for. Will I trust God to handle it? Will I just leave it in God's hands and say, I'm going to trust you, God, to handle this conflict because I've done everything I can. I've I've read the Proverbs. I've studied this. I've memorized these Proverbs. I've been trying to ask myself these questions. And yet still we can't resolve this conflict. We need to trust God. In, In Proverbs 20, 22, it says, Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and He will avenge you. He will avenge you. If you've ever read through the Psalms, there are a lot of Psalms where the person is just praying, God, smite my enemies. Destroy them. David even prays, God, smite my enemies on the rocks. Okay, their children, dash them on the rocks. That's what he says. King David. Because sometimes we have so much anger and we try to resolve this conflict, we've tried to work out peace, and yet still... Nothing can happen. Let's just leave it to God and let God get revenge. He knows their motives. He knows their heart. He knows their actions. And he will bring them to justice. Or maybe he will change their hearts and bring them mercy. And then you can have resolution. But we need to just leave revenge in God's hand. I had a friend that said, revenge is a dish best served by God. 
Just let God get revenge for you. He can bring justice if it's needed. He can send a person to the flames of hell if it's needed. We'll just leave it up to God. Let him handle it. Let's trust him. In his TED Talk, um, Dr. Gary Slutkin um, talked about conflict. You know, he is an epidemiologist. So he studied the spread of infectious diseases. So he decided to take his knowledge to figure out why conflict and violence spreads in inner cities. He worked primarily in Chicago. And what he was able to find from studying that a lot of the violence, a lot of the murders that happened were because someone had just gotten released from prison and they had had a vendetta. They wanted to seek revenge. So as soon as they were released, they found the person they were trying to get revenge against and killed them. And then there was somebody else put in prison and then when they got out, there was more conflict and it just erupted and got worse and worse and worse. So he started a, a thing that he would just find these people right when they were about to get released from prison and he would talk with them and, and teach them this aspects of, hey, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And from his work, he was able to reduce violence and murders by 40%. And in some cases, up to 70%, the violence in a city. Just because they were stopping someone from getting revenge. There are times where we have had injustices against us. People have hurt us and wronged us. And we want to get revenge. And if we do, it's going to make it worse and worse and worse. If we say that thing to get the person back, if we do that thing, it's just going to make it go out of control. But if we say, God, I'm just going to trust you, I'm going to let you handle it, he can bring peace. So the big idea today, and I want you to write this whole big idea down, wrapping up all these seven questions, is that to handle conflict, keep a handle on yourself. If you want to deal with conflict wisely, bring peace in your relationships, whatever one it is, with your parents, with your kids, with your siblings, with your spouse, whatever the conflict is you're thinking of today, if you want to do it, you've got to get a handle of yourself. You likely, you, you won't be able to change the other person. You can affect them by loving them and showing them kindness. You can forgive them, but you may never be able to change them, but you can change yourself. You can learn how to handle yourself to control your temple, temper, uh, to ask yourself the question, do I even need to be involved in this? I'm going to have self-control and just not be involved in this conflict at all. We can't change the other person, but we can change ourselves. To handle a conflict, keep a handle on yourself. And, and when we do think about conflict, when we think about it, I, I, I think we should always realize that we had a major conflict with God. God was very angry at us because of our sin. Some in here, God is angry at you because you have rejected him. You have decided to live your life the way you want. And there was a time that God saw that and and in his patience, he said, I want to resolve this. I want to reconcile with people. I want to bring peace to my relationship with humans. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was a human just like us, to live in the world. And Jesus sought to heal. He sought to love But yet people still rejected him. So God's only son came and people rejected him. But but it says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And a few verses later it says, while we were God's enemies, he reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus died on the cross, suffering a painful death that he shouldn't have. And he did that to forgive us our sins, to reconcile us to himself 
So if you're a Christian in here, you have peace with God, a reconciled relationship with him. And if you're not, you can have that relationship. And what's amazing about this, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has said, I have done whatever I could. I gave my son to forgive you, to reconcile you to myself, to bring peace to our conflict. And if you believe in me, you can have that peace in your life and you can also bring that peace to others. Corey Ten Boom was a, a Dutch woman during World War II. And Corey Ten Boom um, and her family took Jews who were running away from the Nazis and hid them in their house as they were trying to flee. And she wrote a book about this, a memoir called The Hiding Place, because there was a hiding place in their house where they hid these men and women and children. Well, towards the end of the war, someone snitched on them, and she and her father and her sister were arrested, and they were taken into a prison camp. And while they were there, within the first week, her father died, And her sister, because of neglect and abuse that she suffered there in the prison camp, died as well. Well, Corey was a Christian, and that's the reason why her family had done this. So she began to teach on peace and reconciliation and forgiveness after the war. But then one day she was speaking at a church in Munich, and up came to her one of the SS officers from that prison camp. In fact, he had been the one standing at the door as she and her sister had to strip naked to be entered into this prison camp. It was the SS officer who had been there as her sister had been neglected and abused to the point of death. And after she spoke on forgiveness, this man came up to her and said, Thank you so much, Fraulein. It's so amazing that God has forgiven us of our sins. Has forgiven me. And he stuck out his hand for her to shake she said she couldn't do it. She, she couldn't even bring her hand up. She was so angry, she could just feel this emotions overwhelming her. And she asked God, she said, God, help me to forgive this person. Help me. She still couldn't do it. She couldn't move her arm. And, and then finally she said, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And when she did that, she was able to raise up her hand and shake his. And she felt God's love flow through her. She realized she had been forgiven. She had been loved. She had been shown peace. And how could she not give that love and mercy and peace to others? Now, the conflicts we have in our life will pale in comparison to those. But we too must be the agents of reconciliation. We must seek peace in our relationships and learn how to handle conflict wisely. We're going to have the band come up and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And the first song they're going to lead us in is called The Stand. And in it, in the bridge, it just says, with arms high and heart abandoned. Because the reality is, we need peace with God first if we want to make peace with others. So if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. To find peace with God. And through this song, I want you to just ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to reconcile with God. He will forgive you of all your sins. And then if you're here and you're really struggling with that conflict in your life, 
you're here saying, Matt, this is the message I need to hear today because of this person or, or that situation. I want you to ask God to forgive you. To give you peace in your heart so that you can find peace and give peace to others. Let's do it with arms high and heart abandoned because Jesus Christ gave it all for us. So let's just accept that from him. Let's pray. Um, God, we just turn to you um, and we ask first for peace from you. For those of us that have sinned in our life or that haven't accepted you, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. That you'd give us your son in our hearts so that we could live the life we're supposed to. Make peace with us, Lord. And through that, I pray that we could all be empowered to, to give peace and reconciliation and forgiveness to others. God, for those who are in a, a difficult conflict right now, whatever it is, I pray that you would heal them, that they might bring healing into that relationship. I, I pray, Lord God, right now as we sing, that we would just abandon ourselves to you and, and find peace with you because you gave it all on the cross. You forgave us. And we too can forgive others because of that. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.